0: know about you, but man, I love starting a service with a baptism. And in fact, uh, in Luke chapter 15, 8, verse 8 says, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And then she, when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me! I have found my lost coin. And in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God, over one sinner who repents. Amen. Let's give God a round of applause again this morning. I appreciate Matt and his decision this morning. Uh, we discussed, you know, if, if he, it's Sunday morning or a different night, and he felt, man, he, he felt like convicted by the Holy Spirit to be In front of the body of believers to encourage you and to challenge you and to lift you up in his decision this morning. And I just think about my decision a long time ago. I was 14 years old, turned 14 March 5th. It was a Saturday, which that means my birthday was just a little bit ago if anybody needs to give me a birthday presents. And uh, and so I turned 14 March 5th. And then the very next day, March 6th, was a Sunday morning, and I was immersed into Christ and surrendered my life to Jesus. And I pray that each one of you, if you've made that decision, that you know what that date is because it's your spiritual birthday, and it's important to remember that. And and I'm excited for Matt this morning. I want to welcome all of you here today. My name is Charles Gwynn, if you're brand new with us. uh, I am the lead pastor here at PV. And I appreciate all those who are joining us online. If you are brand new within the last week or two or four or ten, whatever, and you have not filled out a Connect card, you can do that. If you didn't bring a pen with you, which I would encourage everybody to carry pens with them, it's important to do that. But if you didn't bring a pen, you can always go to pvcc.info and you can fill out a Connect card online as well. And we'd love to get to know you better this morning, I really appreciate uh, George and his meditations sharing with us. I appreciate George and Rhonda, his wife, and, and their life and their commitment to Jesus and their impact that they have on the people around them. And uh, someone that we're going to hear from today has been impacted by them in a great way. And so uh, I appreciate Isaac Stewart uh, coming and sharing with us today. Isaac reached out to me. He's currently going to Summit Christian College. He is someone that grew up in this congregation, and he's going there being trained in Christian leadership and uh, finding out where God is leading him when it comes to uh, a ministry that he could be involved in. And so he reached out to me, and today is a day where we're going to hear, as we continue to go through our series in 2 Peter, as we come closer to the end, we're in chapter 3 of 2 Peter today, and Isaac Stewart is going to come share with us. So will you give God a round of applause as Isaac comes and shares?
1: I was told not to forget and I was turned the microphone on. (laughs) All right, so um, I don't need to do that much of an introduction because um, the way I described it last service was a lot of the people here have known me since I was a little bit shorter than this podium. This is because I was probably five or six years old, which when I think about it I was probably actually more like this tall or so. (laughs) Um, So I want to start with a question. have any of you guys ever been deceived or, or misled before? Uh, I want to share a quick, <coughs> excuse me, a quick little video of a time when I managed to deceive or mislead one of my friends, Gracie. She's uncontrollably laughing in the front row right now. Um, to give a little context to this video, uh, myself, Gracie, my boss Emily, and Destiny, who's also here, we're on a recruitment trip in uh, Colorado, and we were in between meetings with students and meetings with youth groups. And we decided to stop at a coffee shop and get some free Wi-Fi and do a little bit of homework. I don't know how much homework I really did, but, but that's what we were there for. And we got to talking about uh, a time when Gracie was at a fellowship of a Christian athlete assembly. And for some reason, I don't know if her friends dared her to or whatever, she she went and she asked the band that was performing if, uh, if she could play the guitar that they had and, and sing a little bit. And I'm, I'm guessing it was a little bit like they thought, no one's ever asked us to do something like this before. That's kind of weird, but but sure. And so she got up on the stage, and she played the guitar, and she sang into the microphone, and, and I said, yeah, there's probably like 100 or 200 people there, and and I was quickly corrected at that number. Um, to be told, it was more like 900 to 1,000 people. And now, when she told me this, I could feel her ego maybe swelling just a little bit. <laughs> so so to, to knock her back a little bit of a peg, I stole her computer mouse, and I took the battery out of it. And... Obviously, she needed it back for her homework, so she tried to take it back from me. And to keep her from taking it back from me, I put it in my mouth. Because who wants to take a battery out of somebody's mouth? <laughs> so I, I, I gave it back, of course. I mean, I'm not just going to sit there with a AA battery in my mouth all day. So I, gave it, I wiped it off. I gave it back. And uh, a little while later, she excused herself to the restroom. And I thought, well, she's gone. I'm going to take her battery again, because that was kind of fun. So I took the battery out of her mouse. And I put it in my pocket. And then when she came back, I pretended that I'd put it in my mouth again. And so this little 30-second video is just kind of how that played out after I had pretended to have a battery in my mind. So I didn't actually swallow the battery; it was in my pocket the whole time, but I, I definitely made her believe so. And, and in fact, we were talking about it for a little bit afterwards, and she said that that in the moment she got really scared, not just because you know one of her best friends was choking on a battery, but because out of the group of us that was there, I'm the only one that knew how to do the Heimlich maneuver, <laughs> and not to mention I'm the only one with long enough arms to reach around, you know, my my uh, sizable torso. So, <laughs> so in her mind, she's like. First of all, why is nobody else freaking out about this? And second of all, what are we gonna do about <laughs> this? So, so I managed to to mislead her in that way, and and it it was pretty funny. And, and that's that's just the truth of this all is that people can be deceived, and sometimes it's it's the smallest this little thing like a double A AA battery, uh, but sometimes it can be much bigger than that. And uh, I'm preaching out of Second Peter chapter three, verses one through nine, and uh, and. I, the idea is that people have been misled about the day of the Lord or, or the coming of the Lord, and uh, so Charles gave this passage to me a little while ago, and and I'll be I'll be honest when I say that it's not been an easy passage to 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 read and write about and so It's never it was never my thought that I would preach about a topic like this so soon and with that so little experience, but funny how God works like that. So. Uh, it's been a, it's been a pretty challenging process for me to write this. I've had some hiccups along the way, and uh, and I've I've gone through a couple different outlines. I I even threw away my first two outlines because I got through them all the way, and reading through them, I just I thought I really took this the wrong way, or I uh, you know the there's parts in it that are a little bit more emotional or more romantic about the verse, and I'm like, well that's a really great part. Let's let's make this sound really good. Let's preach about that and. And the more I thought about it, and the, and the more I read my outline, I'm like, "That's not really what this is about." I don't want to sermonize. Um, that's a fancy term that I learned this year. Sermonize. Um, I don't want to sermonize on this verse. I want to. I want to preach the meaning that was intended in the verse. And and so I chose the title of the message. Remember, and I did that before I remembered that the whole series is called "Remember the Way." So that's just kind of a coincidence. Um, but I chose "Remember." Because I believe that in this passage, Peter is trying to remind his audience of the truth about the day of the Lord. Because they were being misled or deceived about it. So so throughout this, I'm going to share three different things that I think it's really important to remember about God and and the day of the Lord. So the first thing uh, is I want everyone to remember God's word. And, and in this passage, starting <coughs> in, uh, in verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, Dear friends, this is now the second letter I have written to you. In both letters, I want to stir up your sincere understanding by way of reminder so that you recall the words previously spoken by the holy prophets and the command of our Lord and Savior given through your apostles. So Peter uses the the phrase, stir up sincere understanding by way of reminder. So this is scripture that the people he's writing to already know. Uh, A little background on the book. Second Peter was written in a, around 67 AD, so that's 30 plus years after Jesus's ministry on earth. Um, so it's likely with the timing that it was written and how old people would have likely been to have been church leaders, that the people who were leaders of the Christian churches, they more than likely grew up in a Jewish household, or they more than likely grew up Jewish and then converted somewhere along the way into Christianity. And... Uh, reading a a book called Reflections by Doug Greenwald, uh, I came across this part that talks about sort of the early education in the early first century and how how that would have worked in a Jewish household. So it it said at the age of five, Jewish boys started going to a synagogue school and they started learning how to speak and write Hebrew, and then they started memorizing the Torah, which is also called the Pentateuch of the first five books of the Bible. (coughs) And then Throughout the next 10 years-ish, they would would continue on this path, and by the time they were 13, 14, or 15, they would have likely had the whole Old Testament as we know it today memorized, which that's a lot (laughs) to memorize, so good on them for that. Um, So they knew scripture. They knew it really well. So the things to remember about God's word, because they know it, is that God's word is trustworthy. Now, how do we know when someone's words are trustworthy? to generally look at the person who said them. So, you know, if someone says something or says they're going to do something and they follow through with that, then, you know, we tend to deem them trustworthy. Uh, And and then there's also usually an element of faith that goes along with that too. You know, like if you get on an airplane and the pilot has gone through pilot school, and so that's that's what they've said is they've gone through pilot school. And so you know, you know, they have the training and, and you trust them to get you to your destination safely, but you also don't know what's going to happen along the way. So you have to have a little bit of faith that they that they actually know what they're doing. You know, you weren't sitting next to them through pilot school. You didn't see them fly the plane firsthand previously. So, so you have to have a little bit of faith in that as well. So talking about this, how do we know if words are trustworthy? If the person is trustworthy, then, then the words are generally deemed trustworthy as well. And and talking about that, when God says something, he generally follows, follows through with it. And I say generally, but I actually mean always follows through with it. And I'll talk a little bit more about that here in a minute. Um, so so knowing that God follows through with what he says, we can deem God trustworthy. So then we can deem God's word trustworthy. And uh, since we can deem God's word trustworthy, we can deem the Bible trustworthy, the scriptures trustworthy, because it's 2 Peter Chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, it says, Above all, you know this. No prophecy or scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, man spoke from God as they as they were, excuse me, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we know that the scripture comes from God, and we know that God is trustworthy. So we know that God's word is trustworthy. Another thing to remember about God's word is that God's word is righteous. Psalms 19 verses 8 and 9 says, The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. And the, ordinance of the ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. So I, I did sort of a small word study on the word righteous. Um, it comes from the Hebrew word sedek. And I think that's how it's pronounced. I'm not a Hebrew major. I've kind of purposely steered my degree around learning Greek and Hebrew for the time being. I thought maybe once I graduate and have a little bit more time on my hands, if that's how that works, then I can go back and take, you know, Hebrew and then later take Greek by themselves, and I, I can really focus on that. Um, so, sadek is, is how I'm pretty sure it's pronounced, but basically it means that it is something is accurate or fair or just It means justice or it's right. So when we say God's word is righteous, we're saying that it is accurate, it is fair, it's just, and it's right. Um, There's a couple different different ways to perceive righteous words, and that's words that are actually righteous, and you can follow those, or you can perceive words that are not righteous as righteous and then follow them. Uh, And a good example of this was in the year 1350. The pope at the time— was offering members, a way, members of the Catholic Church, a way to receive, receive indulgences, um, and I believe there's already ways that they can do that. But this was a little bit more intense because um, an indulgence is basically a pardon from your sin that reduces or completely removes the time you would spend in purgatory, which is like the in between heaven and hell is is the easiest description of it. Um, and I'm not certain of the specifics on what they had to do. Uh, one example that I found of this was that the pope at the time was offering, if people helped build a cathedral, if they, if they financed a cathedral, then they could have certain amounts of their time in purgatory, pardoned, um, people would have to go to a certain place. And, and at this time, that's what was happening, is people were going to wherever they needed to go in order to receive these indulgences. And the irony of that is that they were listening to these words, and they assumed that it was you know, it's from the Pope, so it must be a revelation from God, and it must be righteous words, and it must be right and true and accurate. So we're gonna follow them. But they're actually words from man. And so since this is in 1350, for any history majors out there, this is like right in the middle of the bubonic plague, and all these people are flocking to one area to do what the Pope has told them to do, and now they're all together and everyone's getting sick and everyone's dying. So the number of deaths has increased in that area. <coughs> so in exchange for listening to truly righteous words, to studying the Bible and knowing what is to be done in order to to, uh, to get away from punishment and, and receive reward, they're listening to the words of a man and deeming them as righteous words, and they're dying because of it. So because they choose to follow a different word, that happens. But God's word is righteous, and that's what they should have studied figure out where to go and avoid all that. So the second thing to remember, my second point, is to remember that people will try to deceive you about the day of the Lord. Uh, starting in verse 3 of chapter 3 in 2 Peter, it says, Above all, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own evil desires, saying, Where is his coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. So let's talk about scoffers for for a bit. Uh, and an honest question, what is a scoffer? Because it's not the most commonly used word today. Um, I, I've heard people say, oh, I scoff at that or whatever before. But um, scoffer is defined as someone who laughs or speaks about a person or an idea in a way that shows that they think that person or idea is silly or not worth time. So to help put... This, this verse into a little bit of light, and the scoffers in this verse, the, the New American Standard version of the Bible says, mockers instead of scoffers. So a scoffer is someone who mocks an idea. Um, and uh, to talk about these scoffers for a second, it says, uh, in the last days they will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. So in 2 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 through 3, it says, there were Indeed false prophets among the people just as there will be false teachers among you they will bring in destructive heresies even denying the master who bought them and will bring swift destruction on themselves many will follow their depraved ways and the way of truth will be maligned because of them they will exploit you in their greed with made up stories their condemnation pronounced long ago is not idle and their destruction does not sleep so they're not only deceiving people um through scoffing and, and, or mocking, uh, through these made-up stories. But they're also giving in to their own lusts and temptations and sin. And in doing so, they use their made-up stories, and they try and exploit other people and sort of bring them away. And that's where the deception really falls in, is they're trying to use their made-up stories and their own lifestyles and, and bring other people into it as well. <coughs> and then... Uh, Starting in verse five of Second Peter chapter three, it says, They deliberately overlook this. By the word of God the heavens came into being long ago, and the earth was brought about from water and through water. Through these the world of that time perished when it was flooded. By the same word the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So they are <coughs> they're not only following in their own lusts, and their own sins, but they're deliberately choosing to ignore the things that they already know about what God has said. So they've seen proof of God's actions through the scriptures talking about the creation of the world, um, the destruction of it with the flood, the destruction of places like Sodom and Gomorrah. They've seen proof of, of his word being played out as it is supposed to and as he says it is going to, but it's much easier for them to ignore that and deliberately forget it in order to scoff because, because they they just want to choose to ignore this. And, and the question comes about then, why would they choose to ignore this? Why would they choose to scoff at this idea? Well, the, the people these people have heard things in scriptures all the time saying things like, the day of the Lord is near, or no one knows the day, not even the angels or the Son of Man. Um, Jesus says things like, I'm coming soon, and immediately – they start thinking like you might expect them to, like a lot of us would when we hear the word soon. You know, does that mean like next week? You know, a couple months from now? You know, any day now? What? How soon are we talking here? What, is, what does soon mean? Because we measure time differently than God does. Second Peter 3, chapter 3, verse 8 says, Dear friends, do not overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Um, so maybe you've heard this story of a man who was talking to God one day. He says, God, how long is a million years? God answers him and says, well, in my frame of reference, it's it's like a minute to you guys. The man asks, well, how much is a million dollars? And God answered, well, to me, it's more like what you call a penny. So the man says, "So uh, can I have one of your pennies?" <laughs> and God answered him and says, "Sure, just a minute. <laughs> you see, God doesn't measure time in the same way that we in the same way that we do. It says a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day to the Lord. So when he says soon, it means soon. Uh, it, it even means soon in the way that we think of it, just on a different scale. You know, the, the the frame of reference is a little different. So soon could be mean to God next week or in a few days or one minute from now. But to us, that time is measured so differently that that we have no idea what soon means. Um, so it just really doesn't feel like soon from our frame of reference. So the, the last thing I want to say is is remember the Lord's character. This is my last point. Is remember the Lord's character and and uh, I mentioned earlier that that God says things and they tend to happen the the way that He says them. Uh, and so the first character trait I want to bring out is that He's consistent. So if we look at Genesis one, just the first the first big chunk of the Bible, there it says that God goes through saying a bunch of things, and this is the creation of the world. So it's a bunch of big things, and they happen just as He says there to happen. He says, "Let there be light," and we have light. He says, let there be an expanse between the waters, creating the sky. And there was the sky. He says, let dry land appear from the water and produce crops. And we have dry land and crops. So let there be lights in the sky to separate the night and day. And there were lights in the sky to separate night and day. He says, let there be creatures in water, birds in the air, and wildlife on the ground. And we have animals. And lastly, God says, create man from my image. We have man from God's image. Because God is consistent. Flip into Genesis chapter 7, verses 17 through 19. He says, Understand, he's, he's talking to Noah here, and he says, Understand that I am bringing a flood, flood waters on the earth to destroy every creature under heaven with the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark with your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives. You will also bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you so God is informing Noah of the flood that he is about to bring to wipe out every living thing except for his family and the animals that he told them to take with them. And it happens because God is consistent. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. God is, is using the prophet Isaiah to tell of Jesus who will be coming later on Um, As a sign, and it happens just like that. Jesus is born of a virgin named Emmanuel because God is consistent. The next character trait is that God is patient. Patience is defined as being able to accept or tolerate delays, problems, or suffering without being annoyed, anxious, or angry. Um, So another way to say patient that we all might recognize from Scripture is to be slow to anger. Uh, In Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, it says, The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord is compassionate and a a gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. So God is patient. He's patient because he wants all to have a chance to repent. Acts chapter 3, 19 says, Therefore repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. God is patient and he allows us to repent because of the third character trait is He's forgiving. First John one nine says, "If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive." He's forgiving because He wants none of us to perish. Um, I really like to use John three sixteen in my sermons and devotions and stuff because it kind of gets written off as the overplayed, you know, overused verse. And, and in reality, it's it's one important scripture out of thousands of important scriptures of God's word, and. Uh, so I love to use it here, and it fits perfectly because he's he's forgiving because he wants none to perish, and he's so forgiving that he sent his son to die for us so that we can have the chance to be saved. So people can be so deceiving, whether they're trying to convince you that they're choking on a battery um, or or they're trying to convince you that the day of the Lord isn't going to happen because it's soon. Right now is soon from when this was said, and nothing has happened yet. But we have to remember. We have to remember God's word. We have to, we have to remember that God's word is trustworthy and it's righteous. It's, it comes from a man who backs up what he says, and so we can trust it and it's trustworthy. And it is right and it is just and it is accurate and it is righteous. So that means that if he says something, it is going to happen. We have to remember that people are going to try to deceive us about this because they're following their own lusts or worldly desires, because they're choosing to ignore things since they don't fit under their definition, people are going to try and deceive us about this. And we have to remember God's character in all of this. We have to remember that God is consistent. All throughout Scripture, God says something or says something is going to happen this way, and it does. We have to remember that God is patient. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He he doesn't want anyone to perish because he's forgiving so forgiving, he sent Jesus to die for us so that we could all have a chance to be saved. People are going to try and deceive us about the day of the Lord because they don't understand or they don't like it. But when God says something is going to happen, it's going to happen. Don't let yourselves be deceived about this. We pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. God, we thank you for your creation and and how beautiful it is, and and we thank you for being allowed to to live in it and to and to be a part of worship for you in it. And, and God, we just are so thankful. We uh, we just ask that you keep our minds open to study and 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 keep our hearts away from deception, God. And just that we know who you are, and we know that you love us, and we know that you want all of us to be saved, God. We love you.